Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, everybody, it's Golasso time. Enough of North America. Enough of Europe. Enough of Asia. This is about Conmebol, South America World Cup qualifiers, the toughest, most intense matches during the international window. I am not lying. Trust me when I say these are the hardest games to play. And we have my man, Thomas Rangan, coming in to break down all the action. Stay right here because here we go. Yana Rio Peru. Welcome back to Keo Lasso. I am so happy, everybody. So happy to have my partner in crime from CBS Sports HQ, the legendary, legendary Thomas Rangan. TR, welcome to Keo Lasso. Your first time. Welcome, my friend. Hey, hey, listen, Luis, I've worn this. And by the way, this is gold, all right? The gold standard of podcast. I'm entering a new Rome with you right now. Si, senor. Mucho, mucho appreciated. <laughs> I love it. And absolute, just like your jacket, you are a golden welcome to this show, my friend. And just like the podcast, as you know, we're going to go off today on Conmebol, South American World Cup qualifiers. Uh, here we are entering the final window of the year. It's a really big one because once these games are over, they have to wait all the way until spring to come back. So momentum is uh, closed. Uh, confidence can often be closed. And, you know, if there's anybody better to join me to talk about this, it's TR himself. Thomas, let's just begin with the big boys, Brazil and Argentina. They both started perfectly with two wins out of two. Let's begin with Brazil. Brazil host Venezuela to begin with, and then they go away to Uruguay. So how do you make their return to Conmebol action, how do you see it? Is, can anybody stop Brazil at this point? Uh, yes, I think that, uh, as we both know, that the South American World Cup qualifiers is not a sprint. And, I mean, look at Argentina. Argentina didn't win their first game in the 2018 World Cup qualifying until the fourth game, by the way. They're sitting at six points, just like Brazil. They're perfect, but, you know, Brazil is dealing with some injuries. And, and worse, the creative hub coming from without Neymar and, and Coutinho. I think TJ, that's a, a, a problem. They've stabilized themselves under him defensively, have found a way to, uh, you know, to make sure that they don't give up a lot of goals. So they don't need many, although they scored quite a few. And, and if we look at new wave players like Plata, Richardson, Latoro Martinez, Betancourt, the old guard, really, again, we're pulling the strings, including Neymar, Luis Suarez, Vidal, Sanchez, and, and Falcao for Colombia scoring a goal late as well. Uh, so I think that TJ is going to look at, at, at you know, a, a, not an easy game, uh, but a game that if there's one game right now you can afford maybe going without Neymar and uh, Coutinho, it's Venezuela that hasn't scored yet, that doesn't have a, a point. Rondon is back. Herrera is uh, uh, is 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 uh, suspended. 
so I think that that you look at this here. The most important player, in my opinion, has become uh, Douglas Luis. He's balanced out and allowing Lodi to go forward. I think they looked at the Belgium game, Luis, in the World Cup and said, okay, if we want to get to the final of the next World Cup, where can we get better? And all of a sudden you see Luis next to Casimiro, who, by the way, won't be there. So they've got another void in midfield. But I still expect this team uh, to get a W and, and then the tough one, obviously, is on the road against Uruguay uh, next yeah, absolutely. You made a very good point about Douglas Luis. Aston Villas, Douglas Luis, by the way, who, who will be doing a little bit extra because Casemiro, as you mentioned, not here because of uh, COVID-19 positive results. Uh, the other one, actually, Alisson is back uh, as well and Gabriel okay. Jesus. So that's going to be a big one for Brazil. Let's talk about Argentina. You briefly mentioned them. Um, they started well and it wasn't easy. Ecuador look a little bit better. They won that one. Away at La Paz is never easy. And now this time around, they're at home to Paraguay. And then they play their second game against my Peru. Away at Peru. I don't think it's going to be two easy games. And the funny thing about this one, TR, the first one, when they play at Paraguay, Paraguay hasn't lost in Buenos Aires since 1973. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. How do you see this game, especially uh, Argentina? Yeah, as you said, six points, two narrow wins, but they didn't win their first game in last qualifying until the fourth one. So they're in the driver's seat. Uh, you know, Lactoro Martinez scores. Joaquin Correa comes off the bench and gives them a lift as well. I think right now, uh, Ocampos, because of his incredible work rate, both for Sevilla and for, um, uh, for Argentina, has been huge for them because it's allowed Messi some freedom and, and don't have the defensive responsibility. Again, no Dybala, no Aguero, Di Maria back in, who, by the way, is informed for PSG. Uh, and, and you know what? Lucas Alario from Bayern Leverkusen, who scored seven goals, is he a guy that could feature in this game? And as you said, Paraguay with Perito, their, 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 their new coach from Argentina, four points, by the way, Bielsa's former assistant. My only concern is... Uh, it's a bold approach. Is that within the Paraguayan DNA? You know, they're normally re reactive. They, they like a, a low defensive line. And with Verizzi, they've shown some signs of life, which is pretty interesting. It makes this, this matchup really, really intriguing. Yeah, such a good point. They're usually so reactive. That's why Paraguay really shocked me in the first two matches, because they were nothing but proactive. They were just in your face. They should have beaten Peru, I really yep. think, in that 2-0 result. And then they got another good win. Um, listen, one more question about Argentina, because we go all the time in the world. This isn't CBS Sports HQ, coach. We can, we can have a chat here. Here's my question for you. Uh, I got two, actually. The first one is Papu Gomez. I mean, he's such a good player for Atalanta, playing well. Do you think that he... Uh, you know, you mentioned Eladio, but do you think that he can also be a pivotal part of this team, especially Scaloni looking to push up and just alleviate a lot of the pressure from Lionel Messi? Yeah, and that's a, that's a great point because in, in Papu Gomez, uh, you have another player that can pull the strings out of different positions. He's a hard worker as well, uh, which you need next to Messi, who doesn't have great defensive responsibilities, which is fine for the best player in the world. I would do the same thing. I'll do the same thing with LP de Valderrama. I had to convince, by the way, the rest of my team to buy into the fact that if the ball turns over, we got to work a little bit more harder because LPV will not take part of it. But when we win it, guys, in transition going forward, he can be deadly. 
We had a great year, so it was an easy sell for me. But that's what coaches are looking at at Barcelona and Argentina. How can we convince other superstars to buy into the defensive league? There's reasons why Dybala and Messi haven't been on the same page. And maybe that's the same reason why you don't see Papu Gomez and Messi starting on the same team. Because maybe you have too many luxury players. And Argentina has been very pragmatic, too, under their, their new coach, Galori. They've bought into uh, uh, defending. And I think... The most important player is Paredes. Paredes has given them some defensive uh, stability, so to speak, for a team that's not very athletic, doesn't have great speed defensively, gets caught in defensive transitions quite often. But under Paredes, they've been pretty darn good, you know. Can Altimiron on the day create some problems for the Argentinian back four, which is still the weakest link of this team? But going back to Papu Gomez, I would love to see him but Papa Gomez gets the ball. He looks up. He goes, where are my two front runners from Atalanta that normally, you know, are in fuego? So that's an interesting question and an interesting uh, puzzle uh, for Scaloni to figure out going forward. How can you get your best 11? And if that happens to be Gomez and Messi on the field at the same time and be successful. I love that about Valderrama, by the way. That's awesome. Uh, the other question about Argentina, I, I was wondering is can Lautaro Martinez and Messi work together, do you think? It, it's, just, it's just impossible to think of Lautaro Martinez to be on the bench for me. I just, I just love what he offers, but obviously I understand what happens when you have a player like La Pulga uh, being part of this uh, Albi Celeste side, but can they work together? That's the question, do you think? Yeah, um, I mean, if you look at the last few years, there's a reason why Lautaro Martinez has been pushed by Messi within the Barcelona locker room, so to speak, to bring him in there, which means during their time at the Argentina national team, there, there has been obviously a, a uh, you know, an interesting chemical development between those two players, a younger player that's still learning, that struggled a little bit early on. Obviously, Lukaku has been the big man for his club, uh, but he's proven uh, over and over again that he's a player, one of the best number nines in, in, in the world. And again, is Scaloni willing to put two good players on the field at the same time. I think that Lactorio Martinez will start in this game, will score, I'm not saying will score again, but is probably a guy that can unlock uh, defenses with his great runs in the final third. And if you look at the final third, best passer in the game, it's Messi, and he needs a station uh, up front that he can play with. Yeah, Without Aguero not being there, Lactorio Martinez to me is the is the number nine for Argentina going forward. Yeah, absolutely, especially with the Aguero absence. All right, let's move on. Brazil-Argentina looking uh, perfect as they begin this. We mentioned Paraguay. The one above Paraguay right now is Colombia uh, with a win and a draw. Colombia, TR, I don't like, they're so great to look at on paper. They're beautifully creative. But as we saw in that result against Chile, it took some questionable refereeing and a Radamel Falcao stoppage time goal. Falcao, El Tigre, is not going to be part of this window. And Colombia, they're great, but they, their defensive issues worry me. And when we look at their matches as we begin this window, they host Uruguay. And then they travel to Quito. That's not going to be easy. How do you see Colombia uh, in these next two matches? Well, first, it's in Barranquilla. And I'm sure that's you, right. You, you that's right. Bar Barranquilla at 3.30 in the afternoon is, is not a good place to be in 
if you are an athlete, quite frankly. And I've been the there with Alpibe. Yeah. yeah, I've been there with, with Alpibe. And he's always, when he walks in the pitch, he always smiles and he looks at me, Coach, this is not easy to play for other teams. I go, okay, Alpibe, fair enough, dude. I'm with you. <laughs> so uh, that's one. That's a huge advantage, obviously. That's one of the beautiful things about South American uh, qualifying. 18 games, different fields, high altitude, the Barranquilla, the stifling, uh, you know, uh, altitude of Quito, but more so La Paz, what makes it so intriguing. And you're right, Colombia has been a little bit uh, fortunate. Uh, Carlos Quiroz, very experienced coach, obviously. I think the key to success for them is Cuadrado. If Cuadrado's willingness to drop deep into midfield when the ball turns over and then is able to get out wide freeing of Hamas to then play underneath a little bit in a free roll uh, because you've got to build your team somewhat around Hamas Rodriguez, which which most coaches have done at Colombia. And you have, obviously, Muriel and Zapata, up front Zapata right now, the starter for sure for this team. But you're right, defensively, uh, you know, this could be a, a, a tough one in saying that, and in particular because Cavani is coming back. So now you got Luis Suarez, who, by the way, scored, what, three or four all penalties, but he scored again for his, his club. Uh, Maxi Gomez is not there due to injury. So you would like to think that that full for two with Cavani and Suarez uh, will be there. They miss another important link, in my opinion, in Fede Valverde, who's so good on both sides of the ball. But Uruguay uh, has not looked good. But in saying that, one player could make the difference. And Jimenez, coming back, both for Atletico Madrid, by the way, Atletico Madrid is in fuego right now. They're, they're hot. They're, they're, they're going places. And that will be the same thing for, uh, for this team here. His old partner, Godin's old partner, is back, baby. Uh, that makes them, again, a, a defensive force to be reckoned with. I just wonder where their creative hub is coming from in midfield. Because you had Valverde and Betancourt sharing the responsibilities as six and eights and slash ten. Uh, have teams figured out how to play against Tabares? And by the way, what a run Tabares has had with Uruguay, obviously, against that full 4 2. It looked like they've struggled early on. Huge game for both teams, obviously. Yeah, that's one of the key matchups in this window. As you mentioned, Colombia hosts Uruguay in Barranquilla. Uh, one added footnote to Colombia, David Ospina comes back after not being available due to Napoli not allowing any of his players to travel, but he comes back. Um, you mentioned Uruguay uh, seamlessly right there, and let's stick with Uruguay. I am worried about Uruguay. I know it's early. Oscar Tavares is an absolute master, el maestro. We know what he has done for this nation, and we can't forget, if you're new to the World Cup qualifiers in South America, you should know that Uruguay is a tiny nation, and they continue to develop consistency and talent, uh, but I'm worried. I don't know, and Valverde, you mentioned his absence. That's a big one. Um, how do you see this one? Uruguay have to travel to Colombia, and then they host Brazil. Uh, so, you know, two tough matches here, and they need some wins. Uh, how do you see it? Well, to be real honest with you, I think I agree with you. I think Uruguay will struggle. They might get a draw maybe against uh, Colombia, but then going to Brazil is always tough. This team could potentially look after round four in the bottom uh, of, the, uh, of the table, so to speak. And then the next rounds are not till March of 2021. Also, you know, let's be real honest. The, the, the public health crisis, 
injuries, it's mountains for all the teams. You know, we just talked about a few, but there's there's 10 plus big time players that are not part of South American qualifying due to congested uh, schedules, et cetera, et cetera, which, uh, which is tough. So these are two huge games for Uruguay and they need to get some result. I mean, one point is possible for this team, which means they're in bad shape going into, they sit there then for the next four months wondering, all right, we got to get something in March or the end of March in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. And just a note and edit that Uruguay host Brazil, but it's still going to be really, really difficult for them. Listen, one team that not many people talk about that much. I want to bring them up. Ecuador is, uh, they've just been, the, the narrative for Ecuador has always been coached that the talent has always been there. There's no denying that. There's just talent everywhere. They're just tremendous athletes, tremendous athletes. And unfortunately, most often than not, as it happened in Russia qualifiers, they begin well, but then they start dropping off, whether that's because of the huge window, as you mentioned, the break between the November games and then March, but it's also because of the inconsistency in management and philosophy. But now you look at Ecuador now, they're fifth, uh, one win, one loss. They have a lot of local talent, right? Four players from Quito. Uh, you have uh, Moises Caicedo, this young player who now plays for Gremio. He's unbelievable. Um, and now you look at these matches. They host, let's see here. No, they travel to Bolivia. Bolivia. So they have yeah. to play in La Paz. And then they host Colombia. How do you see Ecuador, uh, a team with a lot of talent, who just, as you mentioned at the very beginning, this is not a sprint it's a marathon, and you feel like sometimes Ecuador forgets that. How do you see Ecuador on this? I'm very bullish on, on, on Ecuador. I actually called the Ecuador-Uruguay game for being, uh, and, and, and saw a team, quite frankly, that clicked that day on all cylinders. And I think that Alfaro, the Argentinian coach, the best thing that could have happened for Jordi Cruyff, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, having to say, I can't be your head coach anymore, to bring in Alfaro, a a, a you know, experienced club coach from Argentina. And I think their style suits them a little bit. It's a counter-attacking team. They're very athletic, great team speed as well. Uh, and, and if you look at, um, you know, Enna Valencia, who, by the way, with the next goal, could break the goal-scoring record for Ecuador, I am very high on this team. And by the way, for them to travel to La Paz, yes, it's a little higher than Quito. It's not probably if there's one team out there that should be comfortable in that environment, it's Ecuador. I just think that, that Farias' men, the Bolivian head coach, uh, you look at Martins, who's their only savior, so to speak, and could make history, uh, by the way, uh, in this game, don't have enough. And I expect Ecuador actually not just to win this game, but also be one of the teams that might go to the 2022 World Cup. Yeah, I actually have them as a surprise package as well. It's just that they have to remember that this is not a sprint. It's a long, <laughs> long run, and they have to just stay ready. All right, let's talk about the big one here. Definitely for me, the Pacific Derby. Peru travels to Chile, and there's so many storylines here. From Chile's perspective, Reinaldo Rueda brought a lot of the old school back. He convinced uh, Jean Besojour to come back uh, from retirement. Um, we have Alexis Sanchez and Arturo Vidal taking a private jet to make sure they can make it to the game. We're not so sure on Eric Pulgar because he came a day late, only a day of practice. But this is the old school Chile, the golden generation reaching their final years. And they host Peru, uh, who they lost to 3-0 in Copa America last year. 
Peru has a lot of storylines too. They got a lot more players back since the October game. And Gianluca Lapadula, the Italian Peruvian striker who finally got his DNI in citizenship, he is going to make his debut. We don't know if he'll start or not. But regardless of who it is, this game is just for those of you you don't know. This is it, it's a it's a derby that comes with historical, political, cultural connotations, and when you put it all on the field, it's just ridiculous. How do you see this game? Let's talk about Chile first. They host Peru, and then they travel to Venezuela. And Peru and Chile are both uh, one draw and one loss. So, how do you see Chile? And then you can go into Peru, coach. Yeah, I mean, with, with Chile, and I just go back onto losing a Pacific derby is always bad. But one of them will have one point after three games if they lose, obviously, if there's no draw in this game. Uh, quick story. I played Chile with my under-20 team in 207 as a warm-up for the 207 under-20 World Cup, which was the golden generation, by the way, for, uh, for Chile. It might have been for the U.S. as well. I had Michael Bradley, Josie Altador, Freddie Adu. Uh, Chet Marshall had a pretty darn good team as well. And by the way, we beat Uruguay with Cavani and, and, and Suarez in the, yeah, in the semifinals of the 207 World Cup and beat Brazil too uh, in, in group play. But Chile on the day were unbelievable. And, and the one problem I think is there has been no renovation since 207. If you still have to rely on guys that need to take a private plane because they're too old to take normal uh, flights, so to speak, uh, in Sanchez and Vidal, who are on the day uh, in some of the games they've played pretty darn good still, I think that's a problem. I'm bullish on Peru, regardless of the fact they were unlucky. Actually, both teams were a little unlucky not to get some results. Chile gave up two uh, stoppage time goals, by the way, to draw games or to lose one as well. And Peru is better than the scoreline showed against Brazil. I really firmly believe that the winner of this one potentially could go to the World Cup. And I say that Peru will, will go on the road um, and, 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 you know, and, and will get a result against Chile, your team, your beloved team, that I also very much uh, uh, enjoy. The big question is, you just mentioned, uh, what was it, La, La Palula? Is La Palula. Their talisman, their leader, uh, Guerrero, is not there. And that's a huge loss for them. Regardless of his age, he brings so much to this team. So where do the goals come from? Um, is it still your 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 veteran player started in your last game? Uh, the number nine was this... Uh, Raul Rudias. Or, or, or Raul Diaz. Or you Farfan you're talking about maybe as well. Yes, exactly. And is Raul Diaz being an MLS <laughs> You're number nine that has to get you to the World Cup and no disrespect towards MLS. So that's, to me, the question mark. In all other areas, I, I think they're, they're great. The two fullbacks love to go forward. Tapias in midfield is sitting in there, orchestrating from deep. It's a fun team to watch, man. You should be proud of being Peruvian. Uh, oh, I am every day, every day. And uh, <laughs> I think that was really perfect analysis in both teams, to be honest. I love the story on that uh, golden generation of Chile. Listen, the problem with this game is that it does listen like you, you might as well throw tactics and paper analysis out the window because it really is down to who wants it more sometimes and who makes the least mistakes during 90 minutes. And when I talk about mistakes, I don't just mean like, you know, I missed opportunity or I missed tackle. I'm talking about fouls, staying mentally ready because things just go out of control when you want it. And you make one really good point. MLS fans should know this. And listen, there's a lot of Peruvian players in MLS, and it's so great to see the league growing. 
But Raul Rodriguez, as well as he does for Seattle Sanders, he does not produce nowhere near what we want him to in Peru. And it's not because a lot of it has to do with strategy. He's just not a sole striker. He's not a Guerrero. He's not going to hold the ball from you. He plays off someone. So I'm hoping that maybe you see a Rodriguez and Lapadula together in a 4-4-2 maybe. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know if Gareca will risk Lapadula's well, first ever game against right. Chile. I don't know about that. Welcome to Cottonball, Lapadula. Here you go. The Pacific yeah. Derby. Boom. <laughs> exactly. Here's your introduction to South America, Lapadula. Chile away. Forget about it. He won't come back. He'll give back his Peruvian passport, coach. <laughs> Let's finish off, coach, uh, with the two teams. I mean, I guess we'll be quick on this. Unfortunately for Bolivia and Venezuela, zero wins, uh, lost the first straight two. I think with Venezuela, it was a little unfair as well with uh, not having Salomon Rondon. It was a little tough not having their talisman. He is back, as you mentioned. Uh, the Chinese Super League have allowed him to, to make this travel due to the, you know, obviously South American federations pressured the hell out of some of these teams to make sure they came in. But Bolivia, Bolivia's biggest friend is La Paz. And when you don't play in La Paz, it's, it's, it's might as well be, uh, you know, a, a negative outcome. I hate to say it, but there's still too much to do. How do you see these last two teams? Is there any hope for them to get out of this uh, ninth and tenth spot? No, I'm, I really don't think uh, we're talking about we're talking about Bolivia right here. Am I correct? Yeah, Bolivia or Venezuela. You can start with either, coach. Yeah, I mean, you know, Venezuela, you're playing at Brazil. So <laughs> you got no points. You got no goals. So a draw is a win for them, which would be very, very tough. Rodon's back, so he might give the back four a little bit of a problem. Brazil, obviously, midfield struggling a little bit. But I don't see Venezuela picking up a point. So they'll stay at the bottom of the table as well. Uh, and Bolivia, uh, although I had some hopes with this team leading up to the qualifiers. They played some, some decent football in the Farias, but then you lose at home because you've got to pick up your games at home. You know that uh, if you don't pick up, not maximum points, but at least quite a few wins and maybe a few draws, but you yeah, lose. Don't lose. Home. Don't lose it, at home, basically. That's the ultimate message in Conmebol. Don't lose you, at home. Yeah. And you lose your first game in La Paz against Argentina, who had not won in La Paz for, you know better than I do, many, many games. That doesn't speak well for, uh, obviously, the Bolivian uh, team right now. So this is a must-win against a very infuego, hot Ecuadorian team. I don't expect Bolivia or uh, Venezuela to get out of the bottom, not just for the next few games, but we'll probably be there <laughs> in March and beyond as well. Yeah, sadly, sadly. Coach, it's been amazing talking to you. Let me ask you one last question. We have some great games. Chile, Peru, Colombia, Uruguay, uh, Uruguay, Brazil. I mean, there's so many fun ones. If I keep looking down here, Peru, Argentina is a fun one as well. Is there one game that you're just like, that one, my friends, you got you to gotta either watch it or DVR it. Which one is it? It's going to be the, uh, I don't know what you say in Espanol, Darby El Pacifico, eh? <laughs> Vamos, dale, dale, Chile, Peru. That's the game, my man. As you said, throw all the tactics out of the window. Forget about X's and O's. It's about which team will cry the most during the national anthem before the game because they love their countries. They put their hearts on that crest that you worry right now and say, I will die for my country. That's the game I want to see, baby. I love it. And we will end it right there. Thomas Rang and TR, you can watch him on CBS Sports HQ weekdays, especially during Champions League and Europa Weeks. It's always a pleasure, TR, to have you here. Thank you so much.
You're welcome, Luis. And how do you say gold standard? Que colazo is the gold standard. Es el estilo de oro. El estilo sí. de oro. El estilo de oro. Vamos, dale, dale, dale. Chao. I want to thank TR for joining me today. Make sure that you follow us on Kego Lasso Pod. And if you listen to us on CBSSports.com, please, please come to Apple Podcasts, come to Spotify, come to Stitcher, leave a rating and review. We need it. We love it. We want it. Have a great, great weekend if you hear this closer to the Friday. And we will see you next time.